taking responsibility for your language in an interaction that is probably a challenging interaction of speaking to a supervisor, having a hard conversation with somebody, apologizing. Those are things that we don't know how to do very well. And taking responsibility for developing ourselves in that way, stretching at our edges, growing up so that we are doing that. And there's a skill set that needs to be built. So that's a piece where I think we we need to take responsibility for, for learning. Hi, everyone. I'm Andy Vasley. And today on the show, Jennifer Abrams. She's here to talk about her latest book, Stretching Your Learning Limits, Growing Up at Work. This book is for anyone who embraces growth and learning as an individual and as a workplace colleague who is wanting to show up as their best self with consistency, both personally and professionally. Hope you tune in. You're listening to the Run Your Life Podcast with host Andy Vasily. So Jennifer Abrams was first on my podcast a few months ago in September. And in that first conversation, we chatted about her career in education, as well as a few experiences in her life that truly shaped the trajectory of her career, including being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in her 20s and the impact that this had on her life at the time. This conversation that we were having led to a more in-depth chat about the work she does in education, as well as a bit of background into her book, Having Hard Conversations, and also the importance of organizations creating the conditions for all adults to develop themselves as communicators, collaborators, and to learn to better manage themselves through conflict. We had intended to discuss her latest book, Stretching Your Learning Limits, Growing Up at Work, but we decided to leave that discussion as a part two, which you are going to hear today. To give you a bit more context about Jen, she is an international educational and communications consultant for public and independent schools, universities, and nonprofits. Jennifer trains and coaches teachers, administrators, and others on new teacher employee support, having hard conversations, collaboration skills, and being your best adult self at work. In the first part of today's episode, you will hear Jen talking a bit about herself and the work she does before diving into a general overview about what her latest book is all about and what she was hoping to achieve by writing this book. Let's jump right into this first part of the conversation now. Okay, Jen, it's uh, great to have you back on the show. Uh, The last time, I guess, was about two months ago, two or three months ago, and we got deep into a conversation that took us many different places and we we didn't end up talking about your book and that's why you're on for part two so your latest book uh to discuss that so in advance to the conversation i really want to thank you for coming back on i am delighted to be back on this is always you you ask such wonderful questions and i feel like i'm in total dialogue with a a thought partner so i appreciate it 
Yeah, and I, I'm really looking forward to talking about the book. So in the introduction uh, to this episode, I shared a bit about you and a little bit about our, our first discussion. So I highly recommend anybody listening to this who didn't hear our first discussion, they can go to the show notes of the episode to find a link directly to that episode. So I really encourage them to listen to that episode to know more about you. So we're going to jump right into the book now, and that's the the purpose of this conversation today. So, But before getting into that, just give the audience a uh, general understanding of who you are and the work that you do. Okay. Um, I am uh, a former English teacher, a former professional development facilitator and new teacher coach for a school district here on the west side of the mainland of the U.S. uh, in Palo Alto, California. I left that specific uh, school district about 13, 14 years ago to start a consultancy um, around K-12 adult-to-adult communication in schools. And I've written five books. This is the last book I I read or wrote, (laughs) I wrote that we're going to talk about. And it should have been the first in a way, but there had been no way that I could have done it first. Uh, I needed to know more. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's sort of a culmination of of what I think we need to be doing in schools. And it's probably the biggest challenge that we face. So it'll be fun to talk about it. Yeah. And the the name of the book is Stretching Your Learning Edges, Growing Up at Work, up in parentheses. So let's just start with this. Um, Can you let the people know, uh, listening to this right now, just kind of a broad sweeping general idea about what the book is uh, about? Let's just start there, and then we'll we'll dig deeper and deeper as we go into the conversation. Yeah, I think that, as I say in all of my books, we have credentials in our subject areas. If you're not in or or in a grade level, and if you're if you're listening and you're not an educator in a classroom, you have content expertise, you have subject area expertise, and in in teams and organizations and in schools, we need credentials and how to talk effectively to each other. And that really is the essence of this book. That hasn't been at the fore for us. We have been focusing in our um, in our classrooms around developing ourselves to be better for students or better in the work we do in our um, in our offices or in our responsibilities. And yet, this idea of how might we work more effectively together. And what are the skills that we need to be able to do that? That's what I mean by growing up. I don't mean it in a diminishing way. What I mean is how might we develop as adults uh, in organizations, in divisions, in teams, in one-on-ones, so that we can be better and value add to those those interactions. And that's a stretch for all of us, me included, which is why I called it stretching your learning edges, growing up at work. I'm not sure about my listeners, but I'm sure a few of you have thought about writing a book or have even written a book in the past so you know how difficult it is i know some of you are 
probably getting PhDs or masters and you know what it's like to sit down and try to write a long research paper, it can be very easy to get stuck. And authors of books know exactly what this means. It can be very difficult at times to uh, have flow with writing. So for anybody who has ever endeavored to write a book, they know how hard the process can be. Having a clear vision and purpose is critical. But even so, all authors get stuck at certain times. In this part of the conversation, Jen shares the process she went through writing this book, how she was most stuck at times, and what she did to become unstuck in order to find her writing flow and complete the book. Listen to what she has to say now. And mm-hmm. in listening to one of your talks, um, you you mentioned some some research done that uh, if adults have a relational uh, strong relational trust with one another, there's a much greater sense that they can increase student achievement. So it really is about showing up as our best selves. Yes, and there are and- bottlenecks and there are obstacles that get in the way of that. So I think the book unpacks those uh, big ideas. So take us through the process that went behind making this book a reality. So take us through the process of putting pen to paper and what that was like for you creatively. Uh, so just take us through that that process. Yeah. Um, as a new teacher coach, which I did for 16 years in-house, I still coach administrators and I coach people, you know, in all different roles now, but as a as the title, new teacher coach in uh, Palo Alto Unified School District for 16 years, I noticed that we were building the capacity of teachers being able to teach management, assessment, instruction, etc. And we were giving short shrift. We weren't emphasizing what it meant to build your capacity to work as an effective team member and as a quote professional. And many, that's not true. That's, I'm being judgmental. That's inaccurate. Some of the people that did not get renewed in my uh, experience, it wasn't because they didn't know chemistry or they didn't know math or they didn't know third grade. It was that they weren't a fit or an effective team player. Mm -hmm. And yet we never really emphasized developing people in that way. We just expected them to be fully cooked and capable of showing up in a team and doing that. And I thought, well, that's not fair. And I know that I have many amazing colleagues who work and develop people in how to be uh, in a PLC or they work with adaptive schools and they help people be an effective group member, but they're not enough there's not enough emphasis and they're not in every location, right? Mm. So that was sort of the beginning as just like, can we can we just put a little emphasis on what does it mean to be a professional? And so that was always in the background. At the as I started doing all this other work as a consultant and writing about hard conversations and writing about moving initiatives forward in school and collaboration across generations, there was always sort of an ongoing discussion of what should have been the foundational skill 
What should have been the bottom line that we really just said, we expect this when you show up. And if we don't have this, we'll develop it in you. But this is how you need to be a grown up and an adult self at work. And what might those facets be? And that was where I started. Now, I did this book during COVID. There had been polarization uh, politically in the United States by that time. We were looking at the fact that we were a globe and that things traveled and that we needed to recognize that we we were completely interconnected. And there were so many things sort of circling around of how can we be better with each other and take care of each other and understand that we need to contribute uh, in a more effective way. And I started taking courses with a woman named Jennifer Garvey Berger. Jennifer Garvey Berger wrote, uh, she's written a number of books, but she works in cultivating leadership. And she had been, she's a U.S. born person, had lived many years in New Zealand and is now living in France. But she had written about adult development and changing on the job and developing yourself to manage complexity. And I took online courses with her and her uh, colleagues and read from her um, PhD advisor, Robert Keegan at Harvard around adult development. Who and you I have started, a crush on. Oh, I totally have a crush on him. Totally have a crush on him. And it, it sort of was like, whoa, we're not developing adults in schools. We're focusing too much around the kids to the extent that we're not paying attention to ourselves in a way that I think we should. So I said, let's write a book about that. And so that's really where my past met my present, met a moment of saying, maybe I want to put this in writing and put it out and did so in 2021, about a year and a half ago. So that's where... That's the impetus of the whole thing. So when, during the writing process, were you most stuck? Mm. Describe what that was like and how you became unstuck. Um, my colleague, uh, an editor of this book, Laura Lipton, who in and of herself is, is an extraordinary coach and really helps develop you um, by asking you such great questions. She helped me organize, you know, it's like, oh, I think we just need to be grown up, you know, and I just need to write about that. And why aren't we talking about that? And P and she was like, let's actually frame this. Where do you see we could be better? And she, she shaped with me um, the facets of the book. And then her co- she was partnered at that point. He's since retired, although his brain is still working. Br Bruce Wellman. He shaped with me also how to create the book. Like once you have the idea, what kinds of parts might be helpful within each chapter so that an individual who might want to take parts of this could go into bits and pieces of it. And it's become a, a professional development facilitator's dream of a book. And so between the two of them, they developmentally edited the book so that it became something and trusted me. And so I became unstuck in, in a way. And this is the first edition. Uh, I did this in, in the time of COVID. I wasn't able to kind of just kind of 
test it. Do you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. now I'm recognizing what more needs to happen when I do uh, sort of a second edition. But I was stuck in, it was too broad. Mm-hmm. It needed to be put into, um, it needed to be divided into digestible pieces and how to shape it. And so they they assisted me with that. That was that was a, a stuck part, but I'm still... I'm still stuck in a bunch, not stuck, but just curious in, in a bunch of different places. But anyway, that's the answer to your question. Okay, we are going to dive right into the book now. In the next part of the conversation, Jen shares the five facets of personal and professional growth that are unpacked in this book. More specifically, we chat in depth about the first facet, which is all about knowing your own identity. Knowing our own identity is a critical part of better understanding self. And when I think of this, I'm drawn back to one of my favorite quotes, which is from Dr. Carl Jung, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. How true it is. The research suggests that doing the deep internal work needed to know ourselves is one of the foundational building blocks to being able to show up in the world in a way that reveals our best selves. Truly knowing ourselves, our emotional triggers, the impact of past trauma on present behavior, and being able to manage ourselves in ways that allows our best self to show up is a critical part of deepening our own growth as an individual and as a workplace colleague. This is what Jen had to say about the five facets in general, but more specifically, the importance of knowing our identity. Okay, let's let's jump into the five facets now. So I'll just read them off and then we can go through each one. So the, uh, you have know your identity. Suspend certainty, take responsibility, engage in reciprocity, and build resiliency. So, yeah, for the reader, let's just do like a a mini dive into each of those facets because there's so much more than just the words there. So, no kidding. Yeah, and they all connect. That's the thing. You can't. You can. You can study one, but you'll notice that it connects with the others. And yet, the book is read you know, sequentially. So um, I started with know your identity. I started with the idea of if you know yourself a little bit better, you know, your um, sort of your values, how your upbringing impacts you, your uh, limitations, your motivations, those pieces are not self-absorbed, you know, sort of looking at your navel reflection things. They take time to understand. But if you understand them in the context of, if I know myself better, I know where Mm -hmm. I meet or bump into or crash into differences Mm -hmm. in teams. So it could be- I just want to add one thing there is that that's what we really talked about in our first episode. You know, without knowing it, knowing where we were going, the the episode was great because it went in a direction that I w- I wasn't expecting, right? And there was so much value in that discussion. So mm-hmm. I just wanted, I didn't want to uh, cut you off there, but I just wanted oh. to say that that was totally our first first discussion in part one. Yeah, it's 
it's become even more, it's a very, I don't want to, the word loaded isn't the right word. It's a very serious conversation to know your identity because people can go down a path of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. They can go and say, wow, I, I I might say, as a white woman from the United States, if I'm working internationally, uh, my power, my privilege, my biases, my background, I now am working in Morocco. How might my limitations and not knowing myself kind of bump up against culture? It could be that... Um, I, and I need to know myself better so that I understand where I am similar and where I'm different and to take time to do that. Um, I always think in international schools that this is something that you're doing so constantly. And because they're so high performing and so busy that people are like, yeah, we wanted to have an international experience. Here we are. We're working within the system that they don't spend as much time. And yet on a team, there could be five different countries of origin within a host country that's different. And at moments, there's little stopping blocks. Yeah, sure. and that's hugely, so hugely important. One gentleman, and then we'll go on to the next one, but I have this other story where somebody just, and I were talking just this last couple of weeks, the, the introduction into his team of somebody who identifies as gifted and autistic and says, I have different styles of communication. I have different styles of uh, and different behaviors and actions based on my neuroatypical uh, way of being in the world. And the person said, wow, we're having a lot, we're bumping up against how she can dialogue with us. Uh, she brings such an interesting point of view, but it it triggers people. They have limitations in how they want to express themselves with her. And so how does that work? And they never needed to know themselves as quote neurotypical, like it was just, oh, this is how we talk. And it's like, all of a sudden they needed to know parts of themselves and their biases. And, and so there was that conversation, um, and work style, you're a concrete sequential and the person you're working with is a, is a random abstract, uh, you know, how does that play out? Right. So it's just that idea of at least becoming aware and then to what end can you learn more about that so you can grow up at work and be able mm -hmm. to communicate more effectively. You will now learn about the other four facets of personal and professional growth, which are suspend certainty, take responsibility, engage in reciprocity, and build resiliency. Jen shares what each facet means and how it applies specifically to the workplace, but also the importance of leadership creating the conditions for adults to better develop themselves in each of these areas. I'd like to ask each of you to think about what comes up for you as you listen to Jen talk about each of these facets. To what extent do people in your organization leadership included, suspend certainty, or take responsibility for their own actions and words? To what extent do they engage in reciprocity? And how does your organization help to develop the skills necessary to support and build resiliency? 
if you are a leader listening to this and you were to honestly reflect on your own role and responsibilities, how well are you doing in helping to develop each of these facets of personal and professional growth? What might you need to let go of within yourself to better lead your people and support them to become the best adult version of themselves possible? Jen's work is a great lens through which to self-reflect on ourselves and our own ability to learn from mistakes and continue to consistently hold ourselves accountable for our own growth, learning, and development. In the next part of the conversation, Jen will share what the best leaders do to provide the conditions for adult development in their organizations. This is what she had to say. Okay, so know your identity, moving into suspend certainty, which I really like this one because it it really opens itself up to understanding alternative perspectives right which and what i like about this one as well is the the neuroscience behind suspending certainty and looking at alternative perspectives uh says that when we do this we're actually sending a cascading of of neurochemicals to calm us to to move us into the parasympathetic nervous system so that's happening at a subconscious uh, place, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's very interesting, but anyway, so suspend certainty. Yeah. I mean, there is a, a primal need for certainty and I'm not suggesting that we don't stop at stop signs. Please be certain mm-hmm. that that is something you should do. Um, there are moments in so many places though, that we can suspend our certainty, that we can not just advocate, but we can inquire that we can see things from alternate perspectives that we could say, say more about that Mm -hmm. when somebody poses an idea or puts out a a concept or a a way of going that you're like, I I don't think so. How about say more, suspend your certainty that what they're, that what they're going to say isn't right. Suspend your certainty, right? Um, Go to the macro level, not just the micro level of stuff. Uh, see if you have, I, I have this, watch your windshield wipers. Like what are your biases that are getting in the way? Um, and I've had a very interesting conversation recently about this particular facet, uh, and some words, um, that I used, uh, was in Bangkok doing a conference. And I was talking about that assertiveness, I think is really important. Arrogance isn't because I'm suggesting that you suspend certainty in many places, but you don't have to suspend certainty. If you feel passionate about something and you really think it's the right way, how do you express that? And in a grown up way, right? And, And so I was talking about being assertive and not being arrogant. And somebody said, well, you know, if I'm a person of color, if I am a person who identifies as LGBTQ and microaggressions have happened, and I am really passionate that that is not okay, and I'm and very certain, I might come across as aggressive and not assertive because I'm not centering the comfort of the person that I'm that's listening to me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to understand that, right? You know, and I thought, oh, perfect. It's identity. And suspend certainty, right? And how do you want to be right or effective? And how hard it is 
when you have such an identity marker that you so believe is something to be seen and valued and acknowledged and somebody has not done that how do you suspend certainty in those moments when you know it's painful and so it's it's this we go, we can go in to take responsibility for your interactions because it's all blended together and it was an interesting moment of of i had to suspend certainty around well i you know i i, I hear you Oh, maybe what am I missing? Maybe I should change those words. And so it was, Mm -hmm. it's all together, but suspending certainty is, um, I think for many of us, something that we can stretch at our edges to, to do more. And it's a buildable skill. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. So you're not born with the ability to suspend certainty or not, you know, not born with it. It's, it's a buildable skill. So what about when people are feeling triggered? So to acknowledge that trigger, like what's your advice there? So it's very hard for people to do that. Right. And I think that they, yeah, they, they, and so the question is when you're triggered, how can you keep the conversation ball in the air? How can you keep it? Can you start to learn to say, say more about that? Mm -hmm. Or that's really something I hadn't thought about, or it's, 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 it's causing me, I'm feeling strong about it. I want to keep going. Tell me more, you know, say more, share something. I'm I'm holding some difficult feelings about what you just said, but I want to hear, I want to hear you out. It's about having some sentence stems. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that allow you to pause and allow for a touch more inquiry before you advocate. I think that if we don't start to, you know, between what is it? What is Din Frankel? And I don't know if Frankel, Victor Frankel really said yeah. it, but between the, you yeah, know, stimulus and responses uh, response. space. That's that space, right? So yeah. that's the suspend certainty space that I think we can broaden. Um, so now going back to this idea of the neuroscience would suggest that in that pause, exactly what I said before, your brain is releasing uh, calming uh, neurotransmitters to the body. So you're actually calming yourself by creating that pause and be, by by just saying say more i you know it's not sitting well with me but but please say more uh whatever it is by creating that pause you're actually down regulating yes yeah i totally agree there's an organization here in the us in my area called 6 seconds And it's for that very reason, that if something happens and you're triggered, take six seconds, breathe, ask a question that that the research says that will it'll sort of let you, you know, down, down, down. What is it? Downshift. Downregulate. Downregulate. So, yes. So taking responsibility now, and what I like about this one as well, it's it's that idea of you take responsibility for everything. Take responsibility for the way you show up. Take responsibility uh, responsibility for the words you use, the language you use with others. There's so much more to this. So uh, I know you, you touched on it, but just say a bit more about that before moving into engage in reciprocity. Yeah, it's 
It's a really interesting thing. I believe that if you're listening to this podcast, that you're taking responsibility for your work product, you want to stretch at your edges. You're really seeking it out. So you're showing up on time and you're, and you're completing paperwork and you're meeting with students and you're taking responsibility for that. And the thing that's a stretch edge for so many of us is to say, wow, how do I say things in humane and growth producing ways? How do I stretch at my edge to take responsibility for my side of an interaction? So one of the things that I have in there, an exercise is called plan instead of gripe. And the idea is, can you express a concern before it becomes a complaint? Mm -hmm. Can you start to um, be assertive before, you know, and not be arrogant, right? Can you, can you take responsibility for articulating that in a way that it can be heard? Maybe you need to also take responsibility for apologizing. Some people don't know how to do that well, or take responsibility for having a conversation that's difficult and not escalate it to the head of school. Mm -hmm. Um, Or a he said, she said kind of a thing where you're gossiping about it. Can you go to the individual? Those are stretch edges. This idea of taking responsibility for your language in an interaction that is probably a challenging interaction of speaking to a supervisor, having a hard conversation with somebody, apologizing. Those are things that we don't know how to do very well. And taking responsibility for developing ourselves in that way, stretching at our edges, growing up so that we are doing that. And there's a skill set that needs to be built. And so that's a piece where I think we we need to take responsibility for, for learning. Mm-hmm. And then moving into engage in reciprocity. So the idea of adding value to others and allowing others to add value to to us. So talk about that one. Yeah. When I think of reciprocity, I think that you're trying to give advantage to another person and they're giving advantage to you. And that's what we're trying to do in team meetings. We're trying to be a value add to the group. They're a value add to us so that every experience we have is is a a one of of cont- contribution and that is a skill set mm-hmm. um and and it's that idea of how can i be a value add to a group what is the skill that i need to build do i need to build my uh group member skills do i need to um do and and to what and in what ways do I need to do that? So I, I always say to people, let's bring protocols in. Let's bring a little mm-hmm. skill building in. Because just because you're sitting in a team does not mean you know how to be a learner with the team or in community with the team. One of the things I always say to people who are doing PLCs, professional learning communities, is that we need to learn how to be a professional, how to be a learner with adults and how to be a community. And that's the piece here. And so I've had people say to me, I know how to teach math. I know how to teach fourth grade. That's what I was taught to do. And now you want me not just to be a good classroom teacher, but you want me to be a part of a we in a team. That was not part of my credential program. Mm -hmm. Well, it's still part of what the, the school asks of you. And so you might want to build at that in that particular way. So can you give an example of a protocol that you might use in that situation? Yeah. So to, so I think today um, I'm going to do a a workshop with a a group in Hong Kong and we're going to do a reading of, of the book 
uh, in the book. And I'm going to invite people to be in pairs. Pairs is a good place to start for engaging in reciprocity. It's not the whole team. People don't need to take, be aware of self and nine others, you know, kind of a thing. And to simply say, take care of your airtime, read, share, be mindful that the other person has equitable time and voice and read with read the content but also listen and paraphrase and be aware of the other person and then go back in but it's that idea of being that mm, discreet mm-hmm. with the protocol so that you're understanding the content of what you're reading but you're also very mindful that both people are engaged and you're paraphrasing and you're listening. And so that's just one thing. And it's the idea of you de- you have to actually say that, you know, it's not just, you know, go into a, a breakout room and, and, and have a discussion. Mm-hmm. It's, please go into the breakout room and be mindful of these key pieces of mm-hmm. being in that discussion. There's also a bunch of other protocols that, that, that I, yeah. that I work on in the next couple of weeks with people. Um, but it's it's that idea of articulating what you need to be mindful of. I know people say to me, I'm an adult. This feels very patronizing. It feels like you're uh, diminishing my ability to know this. And I'm certainly not trying to place you in a box or make it be too artificial. I'm just asking you to be at top of mind with these these pieces, because not everybody has that, particularly at four o'clock in the afternoon when they're a little hypoglycemic, they need a little water and they're tired. So, yeah. And again, it's going back to the power of the protocol and this idea of shared responsibility. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many good things happening in schools, but oftentimes they're in silos. So you might get one meeting that's conducted this way, but the facilitator of another meeting is not doing it that way. And they're the knowledge authority and they're talking to people nonstop. So this type of thing needs to be embraced by the entire school community, every stakeholder within the organization. That starts with leadership and leadership's expectation that this is going to happen. Adaptive schools, for example, is not an option. No. Right. So, you know, how how can leaders hold each other accountable for this? And how can leaders ensure that this doesn't go away and everybody has this shared responsibility? And it is uh, their responsibility to ensure that they are conducting themselves and their meetings in this way. I think, I think we need to give permission to hold each other accountable. I think it needs to be part of uh, agenda setting um, that every meeting has an agenda set as it's a learning and community building and um, organizational change kind of focus as opposed to a, a knowledge offering kind of thing. If we're not, if we're just offering information, do we need that in a meeting? Do you know what I mean? And so you've got to ask yourself, there's almost should be a set of questions of, of what are the what are the objectives of this meeting? Am I gathering information? Are we discussing? Are we making? And that 
might stop you from just saying the meeting is so that, you know, I'm here to share something with everybody. It's also that it's got to be constant. Um, it's 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 going to take a number of years and every leader along with every group member needs to build their skills. So the group leader needs to learn facilitation. The group member needs to learn how to be a group member. It's not, it's, it's emphasizing process, not just content. And that takes time mm-hmm. and people have to say it's worth it because we're going to, as, as you know, Bruce always says, go slow to go fast. You've got to put this in. Um, sometimes leaders are going to say, but wait a minute, if I just suspend certainty and I allow other people to be talking, am I not being a leader? Mm. And I've got lots of people that are afraid of a new definition of leader because they're going to be viewed in certain cultures as if I provide space for other people's voices, that doesn't look very leaderly. So I think we need to take a look at shifting culture and giving a do a new definition of what leadership might look like. And that could take, and then people might say, I don't want to do that. Hmm. That's not, that's not, that's not good. And you start saying, well, that's how we're going to work here. And that's about adult development and collaboration. And so you might find people resist it, express concerns, go passive aggressive, and then say, this might not be the culture for you. And then that's a hard yeah. conversation. Is that the adult development piece? Is that, uh, does it need to be explicitly Uh, explicitly worded in the mission statement that that is something that the school adheres to or believes strongly in? I would dream to have, I mean, that's that's an aspiration for me. If you talk to, if you read Bob Keegan, if you listen to Jennifer Garvey Berger, if you take a, a listen to Ellie Drago Severson, who works with principals at Columbia Teachers College, to develop to this level isn't common it isn't yeah. what we do as 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 individuals the research around adult development is that the dream of being self-transforming and seeing the grays and working within collectives in this way is 7% of the population you know, it's an aspiration. Most of us are doing exactly what you said, which is giving information. People sit, everybody takes the information, blah, blah. It's like 60% of the population is like, oh, that's it. I'll stop at a stop sign. I'll get my check on, you know, the 30th of yeah. the month. And we'll all just sit this way. I don't think that's going to ch- make the kinds of changes that we need for the globe. And yeah. so I'm trying to help yeah, people. that's that's how I, I i that's one of my pet peeves like i just i i get a bit triggered i guess when it comes to honoring people's time and there's so much evidence and and research around what truly motivates people and and what inspires them and what engages them and the evidence is everywhere yet meetings are still run in in a way oftentimes are run in a way where you're not honoring people's time and it's so it's a pet peeve of mine and and i i just i have conversations with a lot of leaders around this very good conversations and i'm coaching a few leaders right now and around this idea of like 
be so intentional and precise with how you use time, how you use people's time and how you empower them and how you, you know, seek to get all voices. And because you're going to have, if you don't, then you're going to have the person who's an extrovert who talks a lot, monopolizing the conversation. And it's not fair to the introvert who has so many beautiful ideas to share. So it's like really being cognizant of this and aware of this. So I, I think that your work is so important in this regard. So to build resiliency and then I have a, a question in particular about emotional and psychological hygiene um, so yeah just talk about uh, build resiliency and then I'll ask you another question please um, so I thought about build resiliency prior to the word resilience coming in with the pandemic of you know sort of keep calm carry on and build your your inner strength and I might in the next edition change it to a different word but it was this idea of as a group member as somebody who's in collaborative teams and is a part of the school and wants to be a value add and strives to be how do you manage your worry or anxiety around uncertainty? How do you build resiliency around managing your irritations and frustrations and show up in the school having done a little bit of your emotional and psychological hygiene mm. so that you can be that value add? These are internal discussions with yourself, you know, of, okay, that I am not in the mood to do this, or boy, this is really hard for me. How will I work on myself so that I show up in meetings uh, and not pig pen the meeting? Pig pen is a Snoopy Charlie Brown character that has dust around him. And there's that level of coming in and just sort of oozing your drama. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen people do that. Now, yesterday I worked at an independent school here in the Bay Area where this was a real, not a bone of contention. They were like, I get that I don't want to pig pen meetings and I still want to be authentic and vulnerable. What if something is going on for me? Like, do I not tell people? I feel like that's not, that's stilted and it's not fair. And I want to share. And I said, I absolutely want you to be vulnerable, to be emotionally and psychologically, you know, kind of better doesn't mean that you're, you're always happy, 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 and you're performative. It's just, you don't come in and go, you come in and go, wow, I just want to let you know that my, my mom is sick and it's, I'm holding that right now. And I, I might be distracted. So just keeping you in the loop and I'm going to try to be as engaged as I can. That's very different than I can't come to the meeting. Things are just too crazy. And then just like leaving because then that causes everybody to want to take care of you. And, you know, it's about holding things so that you can be as present as you can be in being true. And that was a really interesting conversation yesterday that people felt like they 
had to perform as a professional and couldn't be real at the school. And that was a discussion that we continued as the as the thing ended. I want people to feel real. I just want them to be as clean as they can, recognizing that they need to manage. Recognize it's a part of growing up that you manage yourself and your irritations and your frustrations. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk uh, in in the book. It's it's mentioned um, that there are different types of self assessments. So can you just take us through what what some of those self-assessments might look like and what the reader can expect? When yeah, they I, book? I can. There's a self-assessment for each of the five, right? They're each of the five parts. It's a way of digging into the book with discrete questions. Mm. Ask yourself, have I ever thought about this? I've not thought about this. So there's a question posed and it's like, I've never thought about that. Oh, I've thought about that and I'm not getting better at it. I've thought about it. I'm doing really well. It's about being able to assess within, within the facet and then to say to yourself, where do you have a stretch edge here? Mm-hmm. And how might you go about developing yourself in this way? And how might that assist you in being a, a better and even better value add to the team? So those are there with every chapter as well as a continuum. Uh, as well as some self-talk stuff, you know, it's, it's all there. And as I said, I wrote this during COVID it's a work in progress. I mean, if I'm stretching at my edges, I got to re rewrite this as well, but at least it puts it on the table mm-hmm. that says, Hey, these are things that, that are really important. And so a self-assessment is a start. Right. And I wanted to say one more thing about this idea of being student-centered and how a lot of mission statements are all about the students. And I think sometimes that's taken to an extreme by some leaders where they hide behind that. So they, they, everything is about the students. So they will do whatever they, of course, it's about the students. We get it. But what you're emphasizing is the need for genuine adult development, that it's not just about the students right? And to say it's just about the students minimizes the importance of genuine adult development. So in your experience, you've traveled the world, you know, I don't know you were, I followed your your journey in <laughs> Thailand, uh, your coast, right? And, um, you know, in your experience, what do the best school leaders do to provide the conditions for genuine adult development in their organizations? As you mentioned, adaptive schools or cognitive coaching, these are two things that I've also uh, participated in and, and believe wholeheartedly that they, uh, schools say we care about process, we care about organizational development and our organizational health. And so we're going to create opportunities for all uh, people in the school to learn how to be an effective group member, to learn to have somebody who can listen to them and process with them, and so that they can become even more self-managing and self-modifying, so that they provide those kinds of opportunities. Um, and they also are really mindful that being a professional isn't just developing your content or your or your subject area expertise it's also developing you mm-hmm. and so you could have a professional growth plan or any type of evaluation that you're doing over over time have a piece around developing as a professional or as a group member and to say that has to be a piece of what you also need to be doing not just learning a given 
uh, piece of technology or studying up around your reading strategies, which are also incredibly important. That's, you know, your, your work. It's also that we need to be a school that's healthy and professional. And we recognize that we need to also work on that. So some schools do that and, and they put the time in, um, and they put it in their growth plans and they evaluate or appraise around it. Um, it they, they say this is this is a school where we're all growing. I put in I put in most of my workshops a quote from somebody in Texas that I found on Instagram. Somebody is learning how to be a person by watching you. Mm, yeah. Okay. And if students are looking at us, what are we doing? Like, are we admitting mistakes? Are we suspending certainty? Are we comfortable about learning where we kind of bump up against stuff? Are we modeling for students? These are the skills that grown-ups and adults develop. And I think that it is, it's all like it's like kids, adults, etc. It's yeah. like we we need it. And so this is this is a piece that I think we we can't give zero percent to. I think mm. it's too important. So that's so what about exit tickets? You know, so in, in a meeting, um having this idea, I mean, this is something that I really believe in is maybe not every meeting, but certainly uh the majority of meetings, the exit ticket might be to what extent did you show up as your best self in this meeting today? Yes. What's one thing you wish you could have done more of or less of in this meeting to better contribute or feedback for the leader um, or the, the the facilitator of the meeting is asking, what's one thing I could have done more of or less of this meeting? A teacher, you know, with their students at the end of a class, okay, what's if you were the teacher of this lesson, what's one thing you would have done more of or less of to make it, to, to make it more engaging? So it's this idea that every single opportunity is is a, a chance to um, model seeking feedback. And in particular with leaders and, and meetings, I think there's so many opportunities to do this. So have you seen a lot of that in, in meetings? Um, I haven't. I think I, and it's in adaptive schools work. It's in, it's in cognitive coaching work. It's the idea of, you know, how did this experience support you and your growth or what, yeah. you know, how have you shown up all that stuff. So those are the last questions that it's like, oh, and we're leaving and it's already five o'clock and we don't have time. And so we're going to, we're not going to do that because it's not, it's that. I think it takes courage to stop a meeting to time the meeting, to be intentional enough to say, in the last five minutes, I'm going to give us, it's not just about what we've been talking about. It's also about how we've been talking about it. Absolutely. We, we, we value both. And we're going to give a few minutes of, for you to silently think before you share, if you share written form, if you share with the group, what, how have you shown up here? And, and is there anything that we could have done to help that Absolutely. be- but you got to actually stop and do it. Yesterday, I put out um, a set of questions that wasn't exactly that, but it was just like, what struck you about this meeting today? What are you taking forward in this meeting, uh, from this meeting? And it's so amazing 
to just say, it's worth reflecting even on the last 45 minutes. It's worth reflecting. How has this been a value for you? And doing that led to two people sharing whole group and that last person sharing whole group that's something that is going to be so prescient for me in the next stuff that I'm doing. So I'm reflecting on process, not just content is hugely important. Yeah, it's absolutely. Important. Absolutely. In the last part of the conversation, Jen will share where you can find her books, her work, and more information about her. Everybody, thank you very much for listening to today's episode with Jennifer Abrams. And wherever you might be in the world listening to this, may you continue to stay inspired to be your best, support others in their own development, and continue to make your own difference in the world one person at a time. Thanks and see you again soon. So in closing, can you let people know, uh, obviously they just can look up the book on Google, but let people know where they can find you and your work and in particular, uh, stretching your learning edges growing up at work. Yeah. So they can find me at my website, which is jenniferabrams.com or my email, which is jennifer at jenniferabrams.com or on Twitter for the time being. (laughs) I'm thinking about Elon Musk and I'm thinking about some stuff with that, but I'm on Twitter at the moment and it's at Jennifer Abrams. Um, I, the book is self-published with Miravia.com. It's not on Amazon, but you can find it at Miravia. There's also an ebook at redshelf.com and um, you can find it through clicking on my website as well. So it's, it's, okay. it's there. Okay. And what are you most excited about in moving forward? In general, in this weekend? In anything. What's what's okay. exciting you these days? Um, I'm excited for tomorrow night. I'm going to see a comic who is incredible, a thinker. Uh, his name is Jared Carmichael. He just won an Emmy for Rathaniel, which is his Netflix series. And he's in town and oh, he's nice. got a new show. And so I'm I'm excited to see another person who also presents in a different format than I do, uh, share about his newest thinking. And um, it's going to be at Berkeley, California at Berkeley Rep. So that's what I'm most excited about in the absolute next, 36 hours. Awesome. Well, hey, Jen, it's been great to have you back on and I'd, I'd love to check in again with you in a few months time. Uh, but I really uh, appreciate our time and our conversations. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Always, always happy to talk, Andy. Okay, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Jen Abrams. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Okay. Yeah.